0: Well, the passage we come to today will likely and hopefully be a, a balm to your soul, an encouragement to your heart, because what we come to this morning in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, helps to establish <clears throat> the confidence that we can have in the truth that's been given to us from the Word of God, and that is an encouragement. Chances are that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you have kids that are in elementary or even junior high or high school, if you've ever had a, a time of presenting the gospel to a neighbor or to a coworker, then you have had somebody challenge you in regard to the, the gospel message, the truth of the scripture that you would, are professing. The question will go something like this. How do you know that what you are proclaiming, the truth that you hold to, is any different, any better, any more firm or convincing than the truth that I, that I hold to? And this morning's passage helps provide an answer to that question. Peter, in writing to this church that had been scattered through the, the known parts of Turkey, is writing to a group of believers who have experienced a tremendous amount of, uh, of difficulty and persecution. They, they are unsettled, they are isolated, they are driven away from, from all that is certain and known in terms of the, this physical life. But Peter wants them to understand that, that while they don't have certainty in things that are physical, they can have tremendous hope and confidence in that which is spiritual we have as we will find in this passage you have a prophetic word that is more fully sure you have a sure prophetic word john macarthur in addressing this subject uh i've bought several of the, the copies of this book and um they're, they're back right next to the, the welcome center. It's called the, the Truth War. John MacArthur wants us to understand that, that we are involved in a battle for truth. Because truth is what will fix your heart in faith. Truth is what will help establish you in the faith that you have and we're going to look at our passage this morning, uh, the, the same word that is used in verse 19 as you have a prophetic word that is more sure is the same word he uses earlier in the chapter in verse 10 to talk about a calling, an election that is sure. A calling, an election that is reliable, that is firm, that is immovable. But you cannot have a firm reliable, sure faith without a firm and reliable prophetic word of truth. Let me just read and whet your appetite for, for some of the things that, that John will share in his book. Right in his introduction he's referring to a, a movement of, that was referred to as the Emerging Church Movement and he speaks about the leaders that were involved in this. He says a high level of discomfort That these leaders have with any hint of certainty about what the bible means even on something as basic as the the gospel brian mclaren he says for instance is a popular author and former pastor who is best known figure and one of the most influential voices in the emerging church movement mclaren is quoted in christianity today by saying at one point i don't think we have the gospel right yet I don't think that liberals have it right. I don't think we have it right either. None of us has arrived at orthodoxy, or in other words, has arrived at truth. Now, if that is, if that in fact is a plausible statement, we are in desperate trouble. Because you can't have sure. Faith, you can't have a calling, an election that is sure unless you have a gospel and a prophetic word, a truth of the word of God that is sure. We are hopeless without the credible, infallible, trustworthy, and dependable word of God. He goes on to say, John MacArthur does, nothing in all the world is more important or more valuable than truth. And we know that because as the Apostle Paul writes, he says, he says um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. You can't even step in to a relationship with God. You can't even have the beginning parts of faith in God without the truth of God's word the, the settled reliable dependable truth of God and you cannot be carried in this christian life without the moorings and foundations of truth upon which you build your life and leads you to spiritual maturity in another place he says ultimate truth is objective reality Truth exists outside of us and remains the same regardless of how we may perceive it. Just because you don't perceive something to be true does not mean it isn't actually true. Just because you believe that two plus two is five doesn't mean it's five. It is actually four. Truth exists outside of us and remains the same regardless of how we perceive it. Truth by definition is a fixed and constant, as God is constant and immutable. And really, that's the the thrust of our passage this morning, to fix our heart on a settled, reliable, unchanging truth, because we have a fixed, reliable, unchanging God. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is constant, he is fixed, he is immutable, he is unchangeable, we have an unchangeable truth, a constant truth, a truth that we can trust. And maybe in this age, we tend to shy away from dogmatism. We tend to shy away from that which is clear and direct and strong and immovable but we anchor our hearts in an immovable word that fixes our faith in an immovable God. So as we begin to think about how to answer the question, how do you know that your faith is any more firm than the faith of, say, a Muslim, or faith of a Buddhist, or a faith of a Hindu, or faith of a Mormon who even uses bits and pieces of the word of God? How how do you know that, that your confidence in your God is any different from the confidence that they might have? And this is of essential quality and importance to the Apostle Peter. As he's writing to this church, and this church who is, is experiencing the unsettledness of those who have come in to try to tear them away from the foundations of faith that they've had. The like precious faith that we saw in chapter one, verse one. Trying to unsettle them, trying to, to, to deviate them and, and, and tear them away from the truth of the scripture. How do we, as God's people, how does our, how does our heart buttress itself strengthen itself in the truth of God how do we know it's the only source let's step into this together just a paint kind of a a context for our study this morning Peter will say through the first 18 verses and kind of lead us to this this summary statement that that is truth that is real points to God Truth that is accurate, truth that is genuine, authentic, is truth that points to God. Because all of truth exists to lead the creatures of God to worship of God, to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the, the heavens, as we saw in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything that exists as truth is meant to lead us to God, is meant to lead us to deeper worship and fellowship and communion with God. And so one of the ways we can differentiate truth from error is to recognize that which leads us closer to God. We see that through the, the first several verses as Peter is describing the quality of faith that has the indwelling power of God. Truth will show the indwelling power of God. That's our 1st subpoint this morning. And since you have an unchangeable truth, and since you have an unchangeable God, then the qualities of those who follow after God will be consistent. Uh, the qualities that follow after God that that have a heart that is directed by God that that is indwelt by the power of God will show the consistent evidence of that indwelling power. In verse 14, Peter wants this church to recognize that he is not one who is, excuse me, that he is one who is putting off his body. He's coming to the end of his life. Uh, Peter is, is nearing the, the, the very end stages of, of his existence and he wants this church to be established in the truth that they had had before and to continue on with the essential understanding of who God is. These are essentially his parting words. This is what he wants to leave them with. This is what he considers to be of utmost importance. He's concerned about the false teachers who've come in. He's concerned about the influence that they have in in pulling these young believers away from the Lord. The the truth that they had from the very beginning. He refers to that in verse 12. It was the truth that they knew and a truth that they had been established in. How would they know who to believe? How would they know who to follow? How would they know as as young believers who, to trust. Well, they would know because of the evidence of the indwelling power of God that would lead and demonstrate itself in certain qualities. This power of God that would, as we see, saw in verse 4, would help them to escape the corruption of the world. An otherworldly, outside-of-you kind of power that will help you to do what you can't do in and of yourself, You can only do from and with the power of God. Those, as he also says in verse 4, who show the evidence of divine nature. So look for these qualities, he says in verses 5 to 8. Look for the evidence of the Spirit, the power of God in their life. Faith and virtue, a growing knowledge and awareness of God, A self-control, a perseverance, a godliness, a brotherly affection, and love that will demonstrate itself in in ever-increasing qualities as they come to know God more and, and grow in their relationship with him. These qualities will be theirs and will abound in them, and then they'll know these are people who are indwelt by the very presence and power of God. These are people I can follow. These are people I can trust. Their life points to God. It will also be evident in those who believe in the precious promises of God. And not only do they have the indwelling spirit, not only do they show the the work of God's power in their life, but but they will be those who believe in the precious promises of God. We saw that in verse 4 as well, that God has granted to them What he refers to as precious and very great promises. You see, the goal of these false teachers, these false prophets, was to call into question the integrity of God. To call into question the reliability of his promises in the scripture. Of course, this has been the age-old strategy of the enemy. The age-old strategy of the enemy going all the way back to the garden was to call into question the the words of God. Remember, Satan comes to Eve and says, Has God really said? Is God trustworthy? Are his words dependable? Are they clear? Did you understand them appropriately? And here Peter refers to the promises that that brought them into faith. Verse 4, So that through them, You may become partakers of the divine nature. Those promises about the the coming and fulfillment of the the, the coming of Messiah, what he would do to to rescue uh, sinners and draw them into relationship with him. But once they move from conversion, now they can anticipate as believers something that's coming at the end. They can anticipate the future coming of Christ there will be accountability for the things that we do there will be a judgment seat in which uh, before which we'll stand the false teachers suggested that Christ's second coming was just a fairy tale it was just a figment of their imagination it was just a a, a story a myth in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 4 we see then speaking sarcastically where is the promise of his coming he's made all these great and precious promises but he's not really reliable he's not really dependable you can't really trust what he says they want to call into question the promises of god because they want to assert themselves as the credible source as the truth source we find uh and an, a reference to promises here in verse 16 as well. Chapter 1, verse 16. Peter picks up, up the steam and he'll now carry this through for us through the rest of chapter 1. Verse 16 says For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power in coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We touched on this a little briefly last week, but the the precious promises of God not only called them into faith in conversion, but helped them get a picture of the future coming of Christ. It helped them get a sense that Christ would come and Christ would accomplish his purposes on this earth to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to David to set up his throne and to put down his enemies. He would come in power in his coming. This word for coming is the word parousia, which is used at least 16 times in the New Testament to describe not the first coming of Christ, but to describe his second coming, the, the powerful coming of Christ. And this truth was confirmed for Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to experience a taste of what that future glory would look like. The promise of that future glorious, majestic, triumphant, powerful deliverer that's promised in the Old Testament showed up for them in a, in a glimpse as they got to see it on the Mount Transfiguration as the majesty of God uh, filled the, the, the radiance of Christ and they got to see it as eyewitnesses. They were there. It confirmed the testimony of the scriptures for them. It was also confirmed through audible testimony. As God would say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The confirmation of the father on his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We'll make a reference to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2, which is a, a messianic psalm, which, which begins, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And, and later on in the psalm, you, you will see that, that God states emphatically, He says, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. I will set up the decree. You are my son, it says, today I have begotten you. You will rule them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's what Christ will accomplish in the future. And these apostles, Peter, James, and John, got to see a foreshadowing of that, a taste of that. And that truth about Christ helps to point them to God. It confirms that in fact, The truth that we know about God in the Bible is a differentiating kind of truth because it points to God himself. This truth is fixed. Another way we know that the truth of God that we have in the Bible is a truth you can depend on, as he will now move into verses 19 to 21, we're gonna see that this truth does not depend on personal experience. It's a truth that doesn't depend on personal experience and, and that should be a breath of fresh air for all of us in this room because none of us have had the experience that Peter had, Peter and James and John had, of seeing the majesty of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter essentially is saying the same thing to this church. While they were still very close in proximity and nearness in terms of, of time, they didn't have the privilege or the opportunity to see what Peter saw, but he wants them to know you don't have to experience the same things to enjoy the benefits of the truth that God has given to us. Notice verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You don't have this experience. The experience that, that I have But you're not at a disadvantage. You can enjoy the Christian life because you have the prophetic word which is able to to carry you and establish you in the faith. Peter uses this, this definite article, the prophetic word. Which word is he referring to? Every time the definite article is used in the New Testament, it is, it is pointed to something specific, something known. And here it's pointing to the scriptures. We, th- we find that in verse 20. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The expression, the prophetic word, is, is meant to help us understand the, the full composite of the Old Testament scriptures. That is the, the truth that Peter is referring to. And he makes a, an, an allusion to truth or a, a reference to the truth of the scriptures at the end of this little letter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, when he is speaking about the apostle Paul. Notice, turn there with me just for a moment, chapter three, verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. In this in this uh, passage, Peter is wanting to help the church understand the Old Testament scriptures are, are, are a part of the, the fully confirmed prophetic word, but also the scriptures that what he'll refer to in the, the rest of this passage, the, the, the scriptures that are inspired by God as they were for the Apostle Paul. Those are scriptures too. In this way, Peter is saying, I had an experience I had a great experience. It, it confirmed that word for me. It, and it confirms the word as I, as I bring it to you. But it's not something that you need for yourself in order to have everything that's available in the Christian life. You need to enjoy and build your life on the sure prophetic word of the Bible. He makes the same point in 1 Peter, his first letter, verses eight and nine, when he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. They received this faith even though they didn't see Jesus himself. They didn't have the experience that Peter had in hearing the words of Christ, in seeing the miracles of Christ, of, of spending time in relationship and in physical contact with Christ. But they weren't at a disadvantage. They could still love him. They could still believe in him. They could still enjoy the benefits of the Christian life because of the truth of the word. We see that in 1 Peter 1.23. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. It's the word you have. It's the word you've been established in. It's the word of truth that will carry you to the finish line. Build your life on the truth of the Word of God. Establish your heart and life on the foundation, the bedrock of the, of the fully confirmed prophetic Word, the sure Word of God. He goes on to say, When you do this, you do well to pay attention, he says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This concept of doing well is is Peter inviting this church to experience all the benefits that come as a result of truth. And we know that all the gifts of God's grace come through the instrumentation of truth because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth and the righteous will live by faith everything that we enjoy in the christian life comes through the pathway of the truth that we know about god from his word we get spiritual maturity from the word second timothy chapter 3 16 and 17 All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. So the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It only happens through the word of God. And then we enjoy a holy life because of the word of God. Psalm 119 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Wisdom and direction come through the word of God. Thy lamp, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So he says, Pay attention. You do well to pay attention to the word. All the benefits, all the gifts of God come through the, the context of the word of truth. But I think what Peter really has in mind here is, is, is he's referring to a lamp that's shining in a dark place he wants this church to recognize it's a it's a truth especially that points to christ it's a lamp that shines in their hearts just like what we saw in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That the same light of Christ shining in the same place our heart gives us the knowledge of Christ. The glory of God. It's this same light, this, this same uh, awareness and vision and knowledge of the glory of God that leads us and carries us through till Christ comes again. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Revelation chapter 2 refers to this morning star. Jesus at the end is, is, is giving uh, some instruction and encouragement to the churches that are that are struggling. He he writes to them and says, "The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." That should sound familiar. That's Psalm two. That's a messianic prophetic psalm showing up here as the words of God are confirming that he will accomplish what he has said back in Psalm two. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. What is or who is the morning star? We find from Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus, in speaking about himself, says, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The purpose of the prophetic witness. The whole point of truth is to lead you to a greater appreciation, a greater love to Jesus. And when Jesus comes again that light that had started to shine in your hearts at the point of conversion. You you got to see the, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ in your heart. And then what you saw in the word, you'll see in actuality when Christ is before you and standing and present. That morning star will shine in your heart and a faith will become sight as you will see him for yourself. All the experiences that Peter and James enjoyed John had on the Mount of Transfiguration. We will have those who believe as the morning star comes and Christ will give himself to you in fuller ways. We'll enjoy and experience the beauty and wonder of that truth. Several years ago, I heard this story. It was actually while I was in high school in living in Cedarville, Ohio, And uh, and at the time, um, the Cedarville basketball team would would take their basketball team or parts of their basketball team to the Philippines and and, and they would do uh, like basketball clinics and use that as an opportunity to share Christ with those who came to play basketball. while they were there, the, they, they couldn't get all the way to the shore, and so the boat that was bringing them to this remote island kind of stopped about 200 yards away from the, from the actual shoreline and dropped them off, and they, they kind of stood in, in knee-deep water, and the, the person who was driving the boat said, see that light right there? Don't take your eyes off that light. They got into the water like, that, that's, that's, that's pretty easy. But as they started to walk through the water, they they began to see, so this next picture, the bioluminescent planktons. And anyone who's had any experience with that or never had any experience with that will be fascinated with this luminescent water that's floating by. And all of the the men on the basketball team were distracted and looking at this water and playing around and 30 minutes went by and then they looked up to make their way to their destination and as they looked around they realized there weren't just one light, there were hundreds of lights around them, boat lights and fishing lights and they did not know where they were. They were totally disoriented. One man on the team said, that's the light. (laughs) How do you know that's the light? Well, I know that's the light. I have not taken my eyes off that light because I can't swim. There was a point of desperation. It was a matter of urgency. He wasn't going to take his eyes off the light. He wasn't going to be distracted by the the counterfeit lights, the lights that didn't matter. There was an, an essential nature to his own commitment to that light and to that light alone. And we who believers, we who are believers must fix our eyes on the light of Christ that is originally shown into our hearts by the initiation of God. We cannot allow our vision to be distracted by other lights. It is a matter of urgency, especially as we seek to call others to safety, to preservation, and to eternal life with God. We must point them to the light. And when the light dawns, we will see the morning star that will dawn in our hearts. The light of Christ will be reality for us. We don't need to count on our experience. We don't need experiences in order to enjoy the benefits of faith in God. Truth also that is genuine is not open to personal interpretation. It's not dependent on personal experience. And it's not open to personal interpretation. He says that in verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. This word for interpretation is a hotly debated word, but I think the, the, the best way to describe this is, is, the, is the rendering that we see in our text. Interpretation that, that, that really doesn't refer to origination We'll get to that in verse 21. Not the origination of the word or the truth itself, but the truth that we have is a truth that is interpreted properly through the lens in the context of other scripture. It's proper interpretation of prophecy that is given. Peter is likely attacking his opponents that would integrate prophecy to support their own views. They would lift the passages that they liked out of context and they would apply them to their own situation. I'm sure we've all had conversations with individuals who have done that and probably we have been guilty of the same thing ourselves. These are the very things that, that we just read about at the end of Second Peter chapter 3 they take the prophetic word of peter or excuse me of, of the apostle paul who spoke by revelation of jesus christ and they twist them to their own liking their own rendering we know that false teachers do this but remember we are not just talking about the false teachers outside of the church peter is addressing the teachers that are within they carry a level of credibility they know how to, how to use the Bible to their advantage. They are full of charisma. They're friendly. They have well-formulated arguments. It's important, though, that as we discern the truth, we need to understand the full continuity of truth from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. Because truth of the Word of God will be consistent with the message that we find throughout the Scripture. You can know and understand the truth by knowing the Bible. Is your life submitted and surrendered to the scripture? Are you interested in the light of God's word to such a degree that you are seeking to know who Christ is through the word of God from start to finish? It's a part of your daily regiment. We've often been in Bible studies, perhaps. Maybe you've been in Bible studies. I probably have led some Bible studies that have started with this question what does this mean to you? <laughs> well, what it means to you is really irrelevant. What matters is what it means to God. What matters is the truth that God is communicating for us to know and as we are submitting ourselves to the truth that he's given to us and not importing our own understanding but allowing ourselves to be yielded to the truth that he's given and not to force on the text our own views. For example, we really like the sovereignty of God. We really like to talk about how God is in control up until the sovereignty of God confronts my ability to choose. Confronts my ability to do what I want to do. Confronts my my understanding of the hard things that have come into my life. We, we like the sovereignty of God until we are confronted by situations, criticism, injustice, oppression. As long as it doesn't ruin my comfort then God can be just as sovereign as we want him to be as long as he doesn't stand in the way of my sin or the things that I really enjoy then God is sovereign but we need to allow God's sovereignty to govern every part of our life (laughs) confession for me this week is this is something that God has really been trying to help me with because When things happen that are out of my control, my tendency is to complain. I know that none of you are like that. My tendency is to criticize. My tendency is to defend. My tendency is not to rejoice or to be thankful. But those who believe in the sovereignty of God will seek to commend faith in God through the way they respond to those situations, especially the ones they don't like. Truth is that which helps us to understand that it is not open for personal interpretation. And finally, truth does not originate from personal initiative. Does not originate from personal initiative. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the the really crazy part about that statement is that Peter actually gives us, um, he gives us an example of how this happens in our text. When he talks about the morning star that rises in our hearts, he's actually referring to not just what we'll find in, in the, the book of Revelation, but it has some, some, some roots or some anchors that go all the way back to Numbers 24, verse 17. And if you remember Balaam, you remember Balaam was a prophet for hire. And throughout all of the Old Testament and then in two weeks' time, we're going to find out that Balaam is one of the examples of, that, uh, of a person who will be condemned because of speaking in a way that comes against God. In Numbers 24, 17, in one of his prophecies, he says, See him, but now, but not now. I behold him, but not Sorry, my, uh, but not near, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, it shall crush the forehead of Moab and bring down all the sons of Sheth. Now, how is it possible for a prophet who the rest of the Old and New Testament refer to as a false prophet to actually speak for God? Well, it's because The prophecy that we get isn't dependent upon the prophet per se. It's dependent upon divine revelation of God. That God, in that moment, spectacularly used Balaam in spite of his wickedness. God is able to use Cyrus to speak inspired scripture, he was able to use Nebuchadnezzar to speak inspired scripture. This is just, a, uh, what do I say? Maybe an example. This is an example that just because somebody may speak a truth, does not not mean there's somebody worth following. You need to look at the testimony and consistency of an entire life in order to know whether or not they actually speak for God. Do they have the consistent indwelling power of God that's leading to these qualities and then you'll be able to decipher whether or not they're worth listening to. Look at the sum total and consistency of the life to know whether or not their message about God is true actually true we find that holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost this kind of brings us back full circle to the beginning this indwelling power of God will be governing their life they're holy men and as they listen to the Holy Spirit and obey what the Spirit is telling them to do they are in the flow of those who can, can then be used of God to speak the Scripture of God of course, the revelation of God is fixed and final in the Scriptures. There's no new revelation of God. There's no more, thus says the Lord, that we as speakers and we as believers can, need to continually run to the Scripture now because it is the Word that is fully confirmed. As we draw this to a close, let me end with, with this question. It doesn't do us any good to talk about the significance of the authority and truthfulness of the word of God unless you are a person who is consistently uh, drawing the word of God into your life. We can talk about the importance of breathing, but if you don't breathe, it's not going to do you any good. You can can advocate the, the latest diet plan, but if you are just eating cookies and going to Krispy Kremes I'm not going to buy your diet plan unless that, that could be a good diet plan (laughs) for those of us who talk about the significance of the scripture who advocate its truthfulness who talk about the significance of its, a word that is fully confirmed not based upon experience, it will be the kind of word that we will consistently seek to know. We will invite the scripture into our life. We will invite the Holy Spirit to convict us of the truths that we know and address the parts of our life that are out of step. We will allow the truth to help us to grow and abound in the qualities that. Peter has addressed earlier in this letter. Are we those who give lip service to the importance of the word? Are we those who Jesus will refer to as wise men who build their house on a rock? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who know the word of God and apply it. Those who surrender their life to the sovereignty and lordship of God to say what you say, Lord, I will do. May God help us. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given to us and you've put in all of our hands the fully confirmed prophetic word, the word of God. Thank you that it is fixed. It's complete. And that we can know it and we can act on it. Help us to be faithful day by day to live it out in our life, and to to proclaim the true and clear and direct words of God to the people around us, to invite them into a relationship with the morning star. And may that light shine in their hearts to help them see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We pray, amen. Thanks for coming, God bless you.